0: Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1110 p.m. on Monday night. I did not get the podcast up today like I like to do. Hopefully you forgive me. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of what we do at different uh, by checking out this podcast. It means so much. If you've ever attended in person, if you've ever listened to a podcast, if you've ever listened online, Uh, we just want to say thank you Uh, it's so cool that you would choose to spend some time with us Um, we've got a couple cool things going on at church these days Uh, we are getting ready for Easter which is on the 17th we would love it if you came out and joined us we're going to do some fun stuff for the kiddos so definitely bring your kids and uh, we're going to have a fun Easter service Uh, also on May 8th we are doing a movie night it's it's called a movie night, even though I'm looking at the event right now, and it's at 3:30 p.m. So maybe it should be called movie afternoon. <laughs> Go to diff.church and click on events, and you can uh, sign up for that right on our website. Uh, what else is going on? Um, I love this message. Uh, I thought it was one of Hannah's best messages. Um, we're talking about Lazarus, and uh, I actually I noticed towards the end she was getting emotional. And usually, when that happens, it's because there's like something going on in the world or something going on in her life. And uh, so, I wasn't sure what the deal was with that. And since, uh, I, you know, I wanted to make it as awkward as possible, I asked her after the service. I was like, "Hey, I noticed you getting emotional. What's going on? You know, why are you emotional about Lazarus?" And uh, she gave me an answer. I asked her to actually record it and send it to me. So, check it out. This is why Hannah gets emotional about Lazarus.
1: I get emotional about Lazarus, because I think it's the question that we're all asking deep down. What is God really like? And that's the answer, like this, God is like this, Jesus crying at the grave of his friend.
0: I just thought that was really cool. The message is awesome. I I know you're going to love it. Uh, it's, it's, um, It's classic vintage hannah slash different church but that answer i thought just gives a lot of insight into who she is and and who we are and the type of church that we want to be so yeah i hope you enjoyed that and uh let's talk about lazarus Uh, or we could just do what we always do
1: We're going to do something different today. How many times can I use that joke? Literally every Sunday for the end of time because our uh, name is called Different Church. Um, We're talking, so we've been talking through the book of John, all these stories, and we're going obviously up to Easter, which is in two weeks. Did y'all know that? What is time? (laughs) It was yesterday that it was like March 2020, and then now it's Easter 2022, and I don't know what happened. Um, But we've been moving through John, and today we're talking about Lazarus. Have any of you heard the story of Lazarus before? Cool. Um, It's very long. It's a solid 45 verses (laughs) in the book of John, chapter 11, I'm guessing, because I didn't write it in my notes. (laughs) I only wrote the first numbers. Um, So instead of reading the whole thing to you up front and um, making you all fall asleep, even though I am delightful, okay? I'm very dramatic when I read. Um, We're going to do something completely different. We're going to break it into four chunks. And I'm not going to read it at all. In fact, Joe is going to read it. Yeah. So we're going to read a section, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to read a section, and then we're going to talk about it, and it's going to be great. Around like that. I will.
2: <laughs> yes, I.: master is was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped him with her hair. Her
0: brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters
2: sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, "Let's go back to Judea." But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, "Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again?" Jesus replied, "There are twelve hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of His form." That at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light then he said our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but now i will go and wake him up the disciples said lord if he is sleeping he will soon be in bed they thought jesus meant lazarus was sleeping sleeping but jesus meant lazarus had died so he told them plainly lazarus is dead and for your sakes i'm glad i wasn't there for now you will really believe come let's go see him Promise, Nicky, the twin said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with
1: Jesus. You do have to clap after every single section. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, section one. I have no titles for these. We're just jumping in. God doesn't play games with us, despite what perhaps we have been taught. God doesn't toy with us or string us along. And yet, God's ways are not our ways. God's timing, mostly, is not our timing. And I think a very striking reminder of this is in verse six, when Jesus gets this message from the two sisters, his dear friends. The cry for help, the emergency, like, come here right now, text, slash pigeon. (laughs) And he stayed where he was for two days. He didn't mention it to the disciples, he didn't make preparations to go. He didn't pack a suitcase. He didn't send a message back saying, on my way. Which, you know, didn't mean, it meant like he was getting ready. He hadn't left the house yet. <laughs> he just stayed where he was for two whole days. And Mary and Martha watched their brother die. What was he doing? For two days? Come on. Does he not love his friend? What was he doing for two days? Now, if we read, which we will, the whole story, I think we can tell that he was praying. But the disciples were right. The Pharisees did want to stone him. And surely Jesus wouldn't go back to Jerusalem just yet. Like, Bethany is a town, that's where Lazarus lived, two miles from Jerusalem. It's too close. It's too close. And we know what happened the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, because we talked about the woman caught in adultery last week. And the chapter started with them wanting to stone her, and it ended with them wanting to stone Jesus. And in fact, they did try to stone Jesus, but he escaped And um, then his disciples are like, that's a bad idea, Jesus. Why would you go to there? You will die. And I think it's, like this is the story of Lazarus, right? But I think it's also a story about Jesus and we have to think about both of them because when Jesus, at the end of the chapter, he thanks God. He said, thank the Father for hearing my prayer. It seems like he's referring to the prayers that he prayed during those silent two days. In the wilderness across the river because he was praying for Lazarus but also maybe for his own wisdom and guidance for going back to Jerusalem because what Jesus was going to do for Lazarus would be great for Lazarus and terrible for Jesus because it is one of the principal reasons why the authorities were then like we have got to get this guy out of here but on the other hand it would be the most powerful sign yet in all the sequence of signs that John puts through in his in his gospel of what Jesus' life and work is all about, this is how it's almost at the climax. We're on this trajectory. So the time of waiting was vital and Jesus talks all through the gospel of like, I have to be with the Father, I have to go pray, I have to meditate, I have to be by myself, like over and over again. Because he had to have space to explore God's will and be in this intimate union that he so often spoke of. Only then did he actually act. And I think this story is about all the ways that Jesus surprises people and just completely overturns their expectations. He didn't go when the sisters asked him to, even though they're BFFs. He did eventually go, even though the disciples were like, don't go. And then he spoke about sleep, and the disciples were like, well, if he's sleeping, then he's fine. But he didn't mean sleep, he meant death. But the disciples thought he meant sleep, and everyone was confused. Honestly, as per usual, when Jesus talks. (laughs) There's so many stories of like, Jesus said this, and the disciples were confused, and the crowds did not understand. <laughs> and then in the middle, in verse 9, he has this weird little saying about people who walk in the daytime don't trip, but people who walk in the nighttime do. <laughs> and the disciples were confused, Parentheses. <laughs> That's <is> like the <laughs> subtext. But it seems like Jesus meant that the only way to know where you're going is to follow him. Because if you try to steer your course by your own understanding, then you're going to trip up because you'll be in the dark. But if you stick close to Jesus and see the situation from Jesus' point of view, then even if it means like days or years of puzzling, wondering why nothing is happening the way you want it to, you'll come out in the right place at the end. And the end of the passage, this is like a rabbit trail, so you're welcome. I love little rabbit trails. The end of the passage introduces us to one of John's <laughs> great minor characters, Thomas. What do we call Thomas? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. No, we should not call Thomas Doubting Thomas. We should call Thomas Reasonable, Logical Person Thomas. Because <laughs> everyone was like, Jesus was raised from the dead. He was like, really? <laughs> Let me prove it. Um, but this is the first time we meet him. And he's loyal, and sometimes he's like, slow to understand things, but he's determined to go on putting one foot in front of the other and follow Jesus and be with Jesus and support Jesus no matter where it takes him. And he speaks these words. Let's go to and die with him. They don't die yet. I mean, Jesus dies. It's not a spoiler. Y'all know what happens. <laughs> but like the disciples do not die, right? They don't die yet, but it's certainly the right response, right? Because if there's so much we don't understand and our hopes and our plans often get thwarted, but if we go with Jesus, even into the death, we'll be walking in the light, which helps us make sense of his confusing, well, if you're in the daytime slash nighttime, this is a, this is one of those side notes that Jarrett will probably kill me for later. But have you ever guys seen, ever seen BBC's Talking Animals? <laughs> I know. There's a bird. It's like basically a voiceover, a comedy voiceover of animals doing animal stuff. And there's a bird that's like going like this daytime. with its wings and then being like this. And it's like, nighttime, daytime. <laughs> Anyways, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. No more side notes. You may
0: continue. <laughs> i sorry. I was still thinking about this. Yeah, you're good. When Jesus arrived at
2: Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many other people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have done it. But not even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God the one who has come into the world from
1: God. Here's a question. When was the last time you said, if only? Whatever it is that made you say that, I feel like we all know that since that makes us queasy a little bit of wanting to turn the clock back. And this is where we are in verse 21, because Martha says, if only to Jesus. She just knows that if only Jesus had been there, Lazarus would have been cured. He would not have died. Also, she knows that it has taken t- Jesus two days longer than she wanted it to for him to show up. Lazarus, however, as we discover, has been dead for how many days? Three. So Jesus wouldn't have made it anyways. But, but he might have made it. Like, if only she had gotten the message out sooner. If only he had come really fast. Instead of dawdling for two days on the other side of the river. If only Jesus had been there, he could have fixed this whole thing. And now Lazarus is dead. But instead of looking at the past and inviting her to think about what might have been, Jesus tells her to look at the future. And then he tells her to imagine that the future is somehow brought into the present. Because he says, your brother will rise again. That's a nice phrase, I guess. Martha knows as well as Jesus is a common Jewish teaching. There's gonna be a resurrection at the end, a new heavens and a new earth. All of God's followers will be raised from the beginning of time to the end of time. They will all be raised and will live in the new heavens and the new earth, which is a world just like ours, just without all the ugliness and pain and grief and death. And Martha believes this, but her flat response (laughs) In verse 24, shows it's not really all that comforting. She's like, yes, Lord, everyone will be raised at the end of time. That would be like if someone you love dies, and then everyone's like, well, you know, you'll see them again in heaven. So unhelpful. But she's not prepared for Jesus' response, because Jesus says the future has actually come into the present. The new creation, and with it, the resurrection has come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. And Jesus has not just come from heaven to earth. He's come from God's future into our present, into the mess of the world we all know. She says, yes, I'm it. Everyone's going to be raised at the end of time. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine or a future hope. It's a person." And he's standing in front of Martha. And Jesus is ex- inviting Martha to ch- exchange her "if only," like "if only you'd been here." I can't believe you weren't here, God. Ugh. Jesus, do you even care about us at all? And Martha, as we will see, she then runs to tell her sister Mary that Jesus has arrived. And we know that Martha is like an active, busybody person she's very much like she's busy all the time she had to hurry off and meet Jesus the minute she heard he was coming she's like I'm going to meet him on the road and tell him what I think of him I'm going to confront him directly immediately and you know some of us are like that we just cannot wait we have to tell Jesus immediately (laughs) what we think of his strange ways but if you're like that if you have an if only in your heart well then act like Martha Jesus didn't tell Martha she was wrong run off to meet Jesus. Ask him why he didn't show up sooner. Tell him the problem. Why did you allow this awful thing to happen? And then be prepared for a surprising response. <laughs> because no one can know what the response will be because it is surprise. But we know what shape it will take. Jesus will meet your problem with some part of God's future. That can and will burst into the present time, into the mess and the grief with good news, with hope, and with new possibilities. And the key to it all is faith. Jesus is bringing God's new world into existence. But it doesn't happen automatically, it doesn't just knock people over like a tsunami and sweep them up. The key to sharing in the new world is faith, believing in Jesus. Trusting that he is God's Messiah, the one who comes into the world, into our world, into our pain and our sorrow and our death, and does something altogether new and surprising.
2: Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary, Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Mark and when the people who were at the house, consoling Mary, saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to leave. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell on his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw her, the other people waiting with her. A deep anger rolled up with him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. That Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much you loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying?
1: To me, section three is actually the point of the whole story. Lazarus being raised from the dead is not the point, which it shouldn't. But like, the fourth act is the point, right? No. This is where, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this section. Most of the world grieves at a funeral like they did for Lazarus. There's a procession, and there's sad music, and there's weeping and wailing in front of everyone, loudly. And in the Western world, we grieve privately. We don't want to bother anyone. We pretend that everything is okay. And perhaps the old way is kinder because it doesn't do any good to hide grief or pretend that it doesn't exist. Paul later in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians says he doesn't want us to grieve like people who have no hope. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't grieve at all, which is how many Christians have taken this, especially in the last 100 years. It doesn't mean you shouldn't grieve at all. It means there's two kinds of grief. There's a hopeless grief and a hopeful grief, but the hopeful grief is still bitter. And as if to rub this point in, we find Jesus in this passage bursting into tears. John has such a deep meaning here. I think to begin with, we cannot be content with seeing Jesus' tears just as evidence that he was a real human being. That's no doubt true, but in Jesus' world, like nobody in his world imagined that he was anything other than a real human being with flesh and blood. He was born, after all. It's only us who spend time, like, arguing about humanity and divinity and kenosis and good God be human and this is possible and it can exist in one person. They were like, obviously, Jesus is a human. Rather, throughout the whole gospel, John is telling us something much more striking, that when we look at Jesus, no less when we look at Jesus in tears, we are seeing not just a flesh and blood human being, but the word made flesh. God made flesh. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word through whom the universe was made weeps at the grave of his friend, think only if we stop and actually think about that will we understand the full mystery of what John is trying to tell us. Only when we put away our high and dry pictures of God somewhere up there, overseeing everything, not caring, and replace them with a picture of Jesus, who is God, who is crying, with the pain and the grief of the world's crying, will we discover what the word God actually even means. Jesus cries at the moment he sees Mary in tears. He does not sweep onto the scene and declare that tears are irrelevant, because Lazarus will be raised from the dead. Even though, as his actions and words will soon make very clear, Jesus has no doubt what he's going to do. He has no doubt about what God will do through him. There's still no sense of triumphalism. There's no sense of someone coming in with a secret formula to fix everything. It will show how clever he is. He's not like Mary. Don't bother crying because Lazarus is going to be alive in a second. Instead, to use biblical language, there's a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, sharing and bearing it with us to the point of tears. And we can think, like, what grief in Jesus' own heart was stirred up? Obviously for his friend, right? But could it also be grief for another death to come? His own? His own? We think, oh, Jesus went willingly to death, that's fine. But yeah, but also that means he never got to be with his family in the way that he was ever again. He never got to be with his disciples and his dear friends in the way that he knew them ever again. And couldn't the man who did so many miracles have brought it about that he didn't have to die? Couldn't the man who saved so many others save himself? And I think John tells us a thousand different ways in the book it's only through his death through Jesus sharing in the common fate of all humans that the world can be changed but there is a hint of what will come where have you laid him Jesus asked Mary and she says come and see which is a callback we read it and we're like oh yeah come and see she's gonna show him the grave But the very first disciples at the beginning of John, they see Jesus and they're like, what a weird guy. So intrigued. And they're like, where are you staying, Jesus? We want to know more about you. And he's like, come and see. And then he says, where is the, where is it? Where's the place of pain? And Mary says, come and see. It's the simplest of invitations, right? But it is the core of Christian faith, I think. Come and see. When's the last time we said, come and see to God and let God in, all tears, (laughs) to the place of our deepest grief and sorrow so that we can then hear Jesus' response, you come and see. As he takes us through the sorrow to a place where there's life and love and resurrection.
2: Jesus was still upset as he arrived at the tomb. A team with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in great clothes, his face wrapped ahead a head cloth. Jesus told them, grab him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done.
1: Give Joseph a hand. Thanks, friend. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter in Mark 5, he told everyone to get out of the room. And when it was over, he told the people not to tell anyone. And now, he stands in front of a large crowd and puts his reputation on the line and shouts at Lazarus to come out. And he comes out. Terrifying.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and actually, this may be a controversial opinion, but the most extraordinary thing in this bit of scripture to me is not that Lazarus comes out. It's what isn't said. It's what left for us to discover, like archeologists digging. To begin with, we have an unanswered comment from Martha. Good old Martha. Always fussing. She's like, she's like, take the stone away. And she's like, Jesus, you cannot it the smell. Jesus, you're embarrassing me. Jesus, it will smell so bad. He has been in there for three days decomposing. And Jesus doesn't answer her except with a weird, like, very oblique comment. If she believes, she will see God's glory. But what, the question is, what has happened to Lazarus' body? Will it have actually started to decay, turn into human soup? The other unexplained bit of evidence is what Jesus says when they do take the stone away, he doesn't pray that he will now have the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. He thanks God that he has heard him. Perhaps you can follow this thread. What John has omitted, but surely wants us to understand, is that when they took the stone away, something was missing. And what is it that would have been missing? The smell. And from that moment on, Jesus knew that Lazarus' body was not dead, or perhaps was dead no longer. It had not begun to decompose. You get to that conclusion there's only one conclusion i can draw and i feel like it's very striking in the two silent days on the river before he told anyone before he packed a bag before he hurried to meet the emergency before he even told the disciples he was praying praying that though lazarus would die he'd be preserved praying that when they arrived, the body in the tomb would be whole and complete and ready to be summoned back to new life. And then when they took the stone away and there was no smell, he knew that his prayer had been answered. So the question I want you to think about this week, perhaps to ponder, what parts of your life have you been praying for? praying that even though it seems like there's pain and death and grief, that there might actually be life growing there again. Praying that what you're afraid of, the stench, the terrible smell of hopelessness and loss, will disappear as Jesus looks at all the dark parts in our hearts and souls. Praying perhaps for the strength to say, Come and see to Jesus as we take him to all the parts we don't want to show anyone. And for Jesus to say softly back, You come and see. As he shows us a brilliant, hopeful future, full of light and life and grace. Belonging and resurrection.